0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Anne, a member of this congregation, and I'm going to read the Bible for you this morning. Before I do, I would like to lead us in prayer. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us, showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. We ask you now to teach us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you and feel the passion for the opportunities this life you have gifted us provides. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. I'm going to read today Isaiah 51 verses 17 to 23, followed by John chapter 18 verses 1 to 14. Isaiah 51. Awake, awake, rise up Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath. You who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. Among all the children she bore, there was none to guide her. Among all the children she reared, there was none to take her by the hand. These double calamities have come upon you. Who can comfort you? Ruin and destruction famine and sword. Who can console you? Your children have fainted. They lie at every street corner like antelope caught in a net. They are filled with the wrath of the Lord, with the rebuke of your God. Therefore hear this, you afflicted one, made drunk but not with wine. This is what your sovereign Lord says, your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. I will put it into the hands of your tormentors, who said to you, Fall prostrate that we may walk on you. And you made your back like the ground, like a street to be walked on. Turning to John chapter 18 from verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas who betrayed him knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commanders and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people.
1: Good morning, 10 a.m. Good to see you. Uh, Well, just two two things. One is the outline on the back of your bulletin is not my outline. And so if you try and follow along with it, yeah, good try. Um, It'll kind of work a little bit. It won't work the whole way. Uh, And the other thing I was going to mention is, ah, you know what? The highlight of my weekend so far was the family fun night. I have some photos. Uh, There was families, our church family really, that gathered here last night and we hung outside, we also uh, played some games, sung some songs, read the Bible, and did some cool challenges, and I was thinking uh, that it really was, yes, this is how I was really going to sell the night to you. You get to see Teller do things like this. Um, But I was really thinking on the night, like, it was a great blessing. It was such a blessing to have a family that we could have some fun together. Uh, But the other thing I was thinking is that it's not just good, it was really necessary. It's just necessary for us as a church family to have fun uh with a whole family so that we can raise each other really especially our christian children in knowing the lord jesus so i wanted to tell you it was a great night i wanted to let you know so that next time a family fun night comes around that you might be like yes i will go to that night it will be fun and it will also be necessary for our family as we grow people in the lord Uh, but i get into john 18. Uh, it, I reckon that one of the things I was thinking this week as I was preparing is how it can be pretty hard to ask for help from others. It can be hard to ask for help from others. You, you know, might, you might be at work, you might be completely swamped, uh, you might be struggling to keep your head above water, but rather than ask for help, you just keep on swimming with all your might. Or maybe you're at home and you might need some help, but you know, everyone's busy at home as well and you don't want to let the team down, and so, well, you just keep on keep on going, you don't ask for help. Uh, You might be at school uh, and you know, you can't ask school, you wanna be the person who leads and is responsible, not the person who gets, you know, who follows and gets carried along and so you just don't really ask for help. Or with a friend, you might really need help, but you don't wanna look needy and uh, you don't really wanna be a burden. I think sometimes it's quite hard asking for help because we don't want to burden others. We don't want other people to suffer on our behalf. Uh, I mean, what about you? Do you find it hard to ask others for help? And if you do, how does this impact how you relate to Jesus Christ? Uh, Simon Peter was a disciple of Jesus. On two occasions, he reacts quite strongly to Jesus' service and suffering. On the first, Jesus comes like a slave to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. And then in today's passage, as Jesus allows himself to be arrested, Peter slashes with a sword. We can't be sure why, but maybe he was trying to stop Jesus from suffering. Maybe it was difficult for Peter to allow his Lord to suffer for him. See, my hope today is pretty simple, is that as we learn from God, we'll see the heart of Jesus We'll see who Jesus is, and as we see his heart, I pray that our hearts are transformed. And as a result, we'd be more than willing to go to him for help, more than willing for him to suffer on our behalf. Uh, Like John mentioned, we are in a new series here at NCA Church. Uh, We're kind of continuing on uh, reading the book of John. Uh, It's a book that gives an account of Jesus' life, and these last chapters, 18 to 21, uh, tell us Jesus' suffering, not just his death, but also as he's betrayed and as he's rejected, as he's falsely accused and beaten. The account of Jesus' suffering is often referred to as the passion narrative, uh, because passion comes from the Latin word for suffering. And so our series is called The Passion for Life, but you could call it the suffering for life. His suffering for our life. Uh, But the thing is, passion Good word thank you all for coming up with this title Uh, the word passion works on two levels as we witness jesus suffering we will see how he is passionate for our life he's passionate that we might know him and trust him and have eternal life as we get into these last chapters though it's really important to remember that we're not just reading the last chapters we're reading reading the context of all of john Uh, and in the previous chapters which we looked at last year It's been proven that Jesus is from above, the one sent from heaven. He fed thousands with a few loaves of bread and some fish. He caused the blind to see. He raised the dead to life. Jesus is from above. Through him, all things were made. When he arrived in the flesh, he should have received a welcoming party, fit for a creator, but instead he was met with opposition, rejected. And now the one from above suffers. The other thing to keep in mind is that in John, there has been a lot of teaching, especially in our last chapters, chapters 13 to 17. If your Bible has uh, red letters to symbolise when Jesus is speaking, lots of red letters everywhere. Jesus has been doing a lot of teaching. But then when you get to chapter 18 to 21, there's a lot more story and narrative. And so it's tempting to kind of read, you know, this part of the Bible. It's just a record of events. But here is something really important. The account of Jesus' suffering... He's giving flesh to things he's already taught. His suffering demonstrates what he has taught. Here's an example. At one point, Jesus taught, John 12, 26, whoever serves me must follow me. And now we see what it looks like to follow him. It means suffering. At another point, Jesus said that he was going to love his disciples to the end, that his disciples would know his full, complete, and perfect love. And now we see what this full, complete love looks like. And so today, if you had my sermon outline, I had just two points, and they're just two verses from John's Gospel, uh, particularly from John 10, 14 to 18. John 10, 14 to 18, if you want to write them down and look at them later. The first point is this, "...the good shepherd lays down his life on his own accord." I have to say, one thing that makes it much easier to ask for help uh, is when you know that someone is willing. Uh, Just in the last week, twice, before I could even ask someone for help, they mentioned that they were willing. And so I was really confident and really bold when I asked them and I asked quickly. Uh, For someone to be willing makes a big difference when it comes to asking. And in this part of John's gospel, we learn that Jesus is willing. He is the good shepherd that lays his life down on his own accord. He was willing. But as we get into chapter 18, Jesus and his disciples are in a garden together. It's a garden that's familiar to them. It's a place where they'd often met in verse 2. It's a place where Judas, the one who portrays Jesus, knows about. And that's our first hint that Jesus is willing. Even though he knows his life is in danger, he doesn't go to a hidden location, he doesn't hide, but he actually goes to where he can be found. And Judas finds him. But Judas is not alone. In verse 3, he comes with a detachment of soldiers, some officials and from the chief priests and the Pharisees. That's a pretty big crew. Apparently, a detachment of soldiers could be as big as 1,000. That's a big detachment. It could also be as small as 200. It's kind of hard to know how many came to arrest Jesus. But at the very least, it's a sizable party coming to arrest Jesus. Imagine this big group of people moving at the dark of night with lanterns and torches, swords, weapons, coming to this small bunch of disciples, huddled in a garden, probably praying. It might appear at this point in the story that rather than Jesus being willing to suffer, he actually has no other option. He's been taken by force. But what do we see Jesus do in verse 4? Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus takes initiative. He takes control. He goes out to them. He asked them the first question, boldly, bravely, like a shepherd, caring for his sheep. He asks, who is it you want? They replied, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus responds, I am he. Literally, his response is simply, I am. Jesus has used language like this before. And chapter 8, when he spoke with some Jews, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. And do you know what the Jews did? They picked up stones as if to stone him to death. Why did they want to stone him? Because that little phrase, I am, is loaded with theological significance. It's the name that God gave Moses to describe himself. And in Isaiah, That little phrase is used to identify God as the only God, the one God before all others, the first and the last. When Jesus answers, I am, it seems he's identifying himself with God. He is the one from heaven. And at his powerful word, the arresting party drew back and fell to the ground. Now, at first, that sounds a little bit like they might be worshipping him. But that can't really be the case because just moments after this, they bind him up and lead him astray. And so I wonder if this reaction is actually there to help you and I see that Jesus is the Messiah, God's King. Because in the Psalms, God's King, King David prays. Look at this, Psalms 27 verse 2. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, that's what's happening right now. It is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Or Psalm 35, verse 4. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. See, as this arresting party come, they come against God's Messiah. And this fits with the theme of John's Gospel. John writes, 20, verse 31, that these words were written that you, you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So even at his arrest, at his betrayal, he is seen as the Messiah, the king, the one who will inherit the earth, the one who will reign. But what does this king do? The arresting party is retreating and he steps forward. Who is it that you want a second time? And again they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And again he says, I told you that I'm he. Jesus is relentless, though he is God's king. He keeps going to give himself up. Now, on first read, when you read John 18, it might seem that Jesus is at the hand of his enemies. They come with power, he has no other option but to follow it. It might seem that his life is being taken from him. But Jesus is in control of this situation, he goes to where he will be found. And even though he knows what is about to come, he steps out. He goes to them. And then when the enemies approach, they fall to the floor at his word. Jesus lays his life down on his own accord. He was willing. It's not like his arm was twisted. It's not like he was too weak to resist. It's not the cruel fate of a broken world. His death is not a tragedy. It's not an unfortunate series of events. It is the most beautiful love story. Though he is the one from above, the I am, though he is God's king who causes enemies to fall, he gives himself up. He laid his life down on his own accord. He was willing. It makes a big difference when you know someone is willing. It makes a big difference when you know someone's heart. The other day I put together some dessert for my kids and as I finished up, one of them said thank you, uh, which is a slightly rare occurrence in my house. Uh, And so I was a little bit shocked and a little bit stoked at the same time. But all of this changed quite quickly when I saw him tick a box on a list they had. It turns out to say thank you was homework at school. (laughs) And this kind of changed everything uh, because I saw a glimpse of his box ticking hard but, you know, when we see Jesus' heart, I love my son. It was very funny. Um, but when we see Jesus' heart, it wasn't a box-ticking heart. It wasn't something which he was compelled and forced to do. Jesus laid his life down like a good shepherd on his own accord. He was willing. If he was willing, he really and truly wants you and me to come to him with our sin with our guilt and shame and failure. He wants us to come to him for help. He was willing. He was willing to suffer for us. But why did he lay down his life? Well, that also, uh, the Good Shepherd theme, the Good Shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Over the years, I've taught uh, quite a bit of scripture now uh, at Camaray and at Anzac Park and for a long time I taught the year 6 class at Camaray Public School and in this year over that year you kind of you ask lots of big questions and in one of these big questions weeks uh, the material tries to teach the significance of Jesus' sacrifice and it tells a story it tells a story of some newlyweds who go for a honeymoon on the north coast of Australia on their first holiday together they go swimming but their swim quickly turns to tragedy as a shark attacks. The story goes that the husband laid down his life to protect his wife. He died so that she might live. It's a really sad story and it's quite emotionally engaging. But for that wife, she knows maybe better than most that her husband loved her and cherished her, that her husband loved her to the end full complete love because he was willing to lay his life down for her and it's that kind of love which is on display now first like a good shepherd Jesus protects his sheep and I don't know much about shepherds really other than what I've read in the Bible but from what I can gather a shepherd worked to protect his sheep if they were lost they, he would search for them if they were in harm's way he would protect them he would shield them from wolves and thieves and that is what we see Jesus do now Verse 8, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. Later when Jesus is questioned by the high priests, the two things he's initially questioned about are first his teaching and his disciples. It seems Jesus knows that his disciples were in danger. And so he says, let these men go. Take me, free them. Here he's talking about freedom from physical arrest. But John kind of takes this, you know, real thing that's happening and applies a deeper spiritual reality. Because look at verse 9. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. When Jesus said those words in John chapter 6, he wasn't speaking about freedom from arrest. He wasn't speaking about freedom from danger in this world. He was talking about eternal life he was talking about his people his sheep being raised up on the last day and so in this little interaction as jesus protects his disciples and says let these men go it's a picture of a deeper reality jesus now goes to be arrested to be crucified so that his people would be let go so that his people would be free so that his people would have eternal life he goes to suffer now so that he would lose none on the last day. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. But so far, our focus has really been on Jesus and those who arrest him. And it's kind of easy to forget that there's a bunch of disciples, you know, watching on, standing nervously, shaking in fear or maybe shaking in anger. But now one disciple makes himself known, Simon Peter, who had a sword. Now I kind of wonder why he had a sword. Was that the usual part of his attire, phone, wallet, keys, sword? Uh, Or did he know that there was growing opposition to Jesus and so he kind of weapons up and goes and gets a sword? Or did he think that Jesus was the king from Zechariah and he came to crush enemies and so he goes and gets a weapon? We don't know, but we do know that he strikes out. And strangely, did you notice who he attacks? He doesn't attack a soldier. He attacks a slave, a servant. What is going on and he causes blood to flow by cutting off an ear i've just got so many questions why a servant why an ear did he mean to hit an ear was he actually aiming for something more sinister like his throat but in a way all those questions they don't end up mattering because jesus response shows us why attacking was a problem verse 11 jesus commanded peter put your sword away shall i not drink the cup the father has given me it seems that Peter was trying to stop the arrest of Jesus. And so Peter's action, so Peter's actions were directing Jesus away from the cross, away from drinking the cup the Father had given. Peter's action is really very human. Jesus had proven himself to be the king through all these signs and teaching. And so for Peter, I imagine it just doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus suffer? Why not just take the crown and avoid the cross? Why not, if you're king of the world, avoid suffering. It's very human. But Jesus says there's no kingdom without the cross. There's no crown without a crucifixion. He will go to the cross for the Father has given him a cup to drink. We read about that cup in Isaiah 51. The cup refers to God's anger. In the Old Testament God's anger is towards a people who reject him and ignore him. And they are to drink the cup of God's wrath, his anger. God's anger, you'll be glad to know, is not like ours. Our anger, at least my anger, can spark quickly at the most foolish of things for the most selfish of reasons. But God's anger is slow and burning. It is careful and considered. And it is poured out for the most severe of things. Those who drink it stagger and stumble, overwhelmed by the weight of his anger. The cup of God's anger is a cup that we all deserve to drink. But Jesus is the good shepherd. And while Peter flings his sword about like he's carving a new way, a way that does not involve the cross, Jesus says, put your sword away. The way of the kingdom is the cross. And I lay my life down on my own accord for my sheep. I drink the cup that my sheep deserve. Jesus loves his sheep to the end, to the fullest, with a complete and perfect love. Look at Jesus' heart. Look at Jesus' heart. He was willing, and it's filled with love for his sheep. How does seeing who Jesus is, seeing his heart, transform your heart? Will you ask him for help? Will you accept his suffering on your behalf? Because I kind of wonder with Peter whether there was another reason for his sword fighting. I wonder if he didn't want Jesus to suffer for him. Because imagine being there as Jesus says the words, let these men go, take me, let them go free. I mean, What would you have done? Now I know what I would have done. I would have been completely frozen in fear. But others, maybe they would have swung the sword. No ways, Jesus, you can't suffer for me. Or maybe even those frozen in fear like me, we might cry out in our hearts, no, Jesus, don't do this for me. For any number of reasons, in our pride, in our shame, in our guilt, in our unworthiness, we might swing our sword with attitudes or actions and say, Jesus, don't suffer for me. We might not want to ask him for help. We might not want to burden him with such a terrible burden. But Narraburn, 10 a.m., we just catch a glimpse of Jesus' heart today. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life on his own accord. He was willing. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. He loved. See his heart. See who he is and have your heart transformed. Come to him. Ask him for help. And accept his suffering on your behalf. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have all gone astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. But you have punished him, the good shepherd, for the iniquity of us all. Please help us and please humble us. Please show us the heart of who your son is, that we might draw near and ask him for help. Amen.